yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to the Royal Bond Podcast. How's it going out there? Pete Davidson here, as always. Uh, took a couple weeks off. Didn't really mean to do that, but uh, got a little busy. Got into the rookie film. Got into some uh, fun on Twitter. Started snowing like crazy. I think, I've, I think I've shoveled snow like five out of the last... 10 days, so so that was fun. It's doing a lot for my middle-aged back, I can tell you that. Um, uh, shout out to all our friends in Texas. Hopefully things are getting better down there. Uh, it looks like the weather's going to warm up, so even if your power companies don't help you out, it looks like it looks like Mother Nature will uh, stop punishing you, so that's good. Um, as far as today's podcast goes, we're going to... Uh, we're going to talk about Zach Wilson. That was the guy who got the most votes yesterday on Twitter. Um, so he's going to be our first rookie that we're going to talk about uh, extensively in the podcast. Um, we're also going to get into a little bit of uh, Carson Wentz to the Colts. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about my first article uh, on 444 about uh, 2QB Dynasty, Superflex actually. Um, and we're going to talk about a 444 mock that I am participating uh, in right now. Um, and I've done a typical Rotobond start to that uh, draft, as we will talk about. Um, additionally, upcoming on the podcast, I'm going to start podcasting more soon because I've put in a lot of time. Uh, I've watched over 60 rookies, 60 different rookies now. Um, I've, I've gotten into really all of the top-ranked guys at every position. Having a lot of fun with this class. Definitely some good talent out there. Definitely some players we're going to want to target in these drafts. Um so uh, really looking forward to getting into that, getting some guests. We're also going to talk about some best ball in the coming weeks. We're going to have some guests on the pod bang back and forth on some of these rookies and bang back some whiskey and have a good time and all of that. Now, uh, as far as today's show goes, probably looking, I'm going to guess, about 25, 30 minutes. Um, hopefully not too much longer. Get you guys in, get you guys out, have a little fun, hit on a couple topics, and uh, get back to... Uh, putting stuff together for the next pod and all of that. So um, Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU. Um, I'm not sure where Wilson's going to end up on my board. I mean, obviously, with uh, Lawrence, the number one spot is pretty much spoken for at this point. I, As much as I really do love Zach Wilson, there, the cat's out of the bag, um, I, I, it's it's hard for me to really envision any way where he gets above Lawrence just because of Lawrence's upside. Um, but let, let's let's talk about Zach Wilson. Um, let's go let's go through some of the positives, some of the things I like before we get to uh, the potential problems. And again, this is a player that that I really love. And it, you know, this is not an emotional thing. This is not a player that I know a long time. Uh, the first time I laid eyes on Zach Wilson, other than just sort of a passing glance as I'm flipping channels, uh, was a couple months ago, uh, when I, when I first broke into his film. Um, and when I say a couple months, I mean like in December, like two months ago. Um, and you know, it, I think it took me less than 60 seconds to realize that this is a player I'm, I'm going to like, the question is how much and what kind of red flags, um, you know, were we going to unearth? But again, um, let's let's start with the positives, okay? Um, because quite frankly, it's mostly positives when it comes to Zach Wilson. Um, 
So let's let's talk about his arm. Um, he's clearly got a quick release. Um, the guy can make a lot of different throws, and I'm not just talking about all the funky arm angles and push passes and stuff that we see from him. Um, in fact, a lot of that stuff ends up being sort of a how-not-to seminar um, for him. Uh, clearly one of the things that Wilson has to do is sort of uh, you know, get a grip on his own ability. Um, sometimes these guys that have a lot of extra talent, you know, they want to show it to you. Uh, there are times when you need to keep that stuff in the box, and, and that's one thing that Zach Wilson definitely has to learn. There's a time uh, to just throw it away or go down or run out of bounds or whatever. Um, but I love the quick release. I love the fact that he can make a lot of different throws. Uh, he's got good timing in the deep ball. He can throw the out. He can throw the deep out. He can throw the slant. Um uh, he can. He's got nuance to his um, throwing ability. He can drop the ball in. He can take things off. He can. He can put some extra steam on it when he needs to. Um, you know. I mean. He, I would say he's more. He's got more arm talent than raw arm strength. But I would definitely rate him as having a plus arm, a better arm than a typical NFL quarterback. So uh, no problems when it comes to Zach Williams' arm. Now we do. There is some concern. He had. Thumb surgery in 2019, that was a mid-season kind of thing, um, and 2019 was sort of his bad season. So for folks who are going through his numbers, it's probably worth noting that mid-season thumb injury with surgery um, in 2019, that was the reason he only started nine games, and he was coming off a labrum repair during the offseason that year as well. So um, he didn't have a typical offseason, didn't have a typical preseason, got injured during the season, and I think, you know, I don't want to sit there and say, hey, this guy's bad year was due to injury, but I definitely think we have to consider that uh, as a potential factor. Um um, as far as his feet go, um, he's got good feet in terms of talent. You know, he's, he's got a good first step. Um, he's agile. He's, he's got some quickness to him. Uh, he does need to learn, I think, how to protect himself. Sometimes you see him do it real well, but sometimes you see him jumping in there head first. Um, the thumb surgery, apparently, I didn't see this play, but apparently he, you know, dove into a pile after an interception. Broke his thumb. Um, just something he shouldn't have been doing at all. Um, so, you know, he's got a little bit of that hero complex that we need that probably needs to be beaten out of him. Um, but as far as just his movement ability, he's got quick feet, he's got light feet, he's got some speed, he's got uh, a good first step. He is a mobile quarterback. Um, 15 rushing touchdowns over his career, six or 700 odd rushing yards. He can add foot points, um, the real question is, do we want him to, um, or how much do we want him to? I don't think he's a quarterback that we want to, you know. If I, if he was, if he was my asset, if I was an NFL owner or GM or what have you, and I had just sunk my future into Zach Wilson, I would want him to use his athletic ability when appropriate. But I wouldn't want to make that sort of a uh, a big feature of what we're doing with him. Um, now. I like the quick feet. I like the mobility and all of that. What I really like about Wilson's feet is his just the learned mechanics of playing quarterback. He's constantly working to get his feet set correctly. And, you know, 90% of the time, as long as he has the time, um, 
this guy is getting good body orientation, good back foot orientation to make all the throws. You'll see this guy really owning throws to the left third of the field um, without having to twist his body. He can sit there and just fire a ball off hard left without a lot of effort, and it's because of the footwork. Um, now, he also throws the ball, the whole spectrum he throws with confidence. Um, really like what I see. Um, you know, uh, good timing on the deep ball, like I said before. Um, you know, he can throw that back shoulder fade. He's His ball placement on intermediate and deep throws on some of these throws is astounding. It's really, really good. Um, as far as experience goes, you know, even with the labrum injury, his, his well, his third year, um, excuse me, his second year, um, this would be 2019, um, even with that, he managed to start 28 college games. And, you know, the old school guys say 30 is sort of that magic number. So he's real close, would have gotten there, um, you know, as opposed to Fields, who really could use one more season. Wilson is probably close uh, to having enough, you know, uh, time in the sim, if you want to put it that way. Um, and look, it, it, it's only six starts, but, you know, but if you look at it from the old school angle of 30 starts being a benchmark, uh, Wilson's almost there. Um, he did also throw 837 pass attempts. That's a solid number. Completed 566 of them. Um, uh, he, he turns 22 in August, so he's he's not, not an old prospect at all. Not a super young one, but not an old prospect. Um, so really, there's just... A lot to like about this kid. He's pretty smart. Um, he does make some shaky reads here and there. Um, not everything is perfect. He's, you know, I don't think, you know, if if Wilson got to a situation where he had to sit for half a season, I don't think it would hurt him. It would probably help him. Um, but he's a kid probably who can play right away. Um, now, and again, I'm one pass through on Zach Wilson. I may... You know, when we're talking about him a month from now, I may have a slightly more nuanced take because I've watched a lot more of his film, but but I'm pretty familiar with him at this point. Um, so really, you know, I like him a lot from the neck up. I think he's got enough experience. He's not an old guy. He's, he's, he's done this in the appropriate amount of time. He's still young. So if you draft him in a dynasty league, four years from now, he's still going to be young. Um... So just going into the things that are negatives, um, I talked a little bit about, you know, he does have a little bit of risk-reward stuff that he still needs to learn, but quite frankly, I would say it is typical for a guy of his talent to have this issue. I, you would almost be concerned if he didn't have a confidence problem, meaning that he's a little overconfident. So you want to just sort of, just a little bit of trimming on the confidence, just a little trimming here or there, some surgical trimming, and he'll be fine. Um... But my concern with Zach Wilson is size. Um, and, and I mean, I, this is not a fatal flaw. I don't think in, in no circumstance is his size a fatal flaw. Uh, he's bigger than a lot of quarterbacks that we've had very positive grades on. So I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to freak out here. But I'm also not going to bury the one negative element that I see um, in his play. And I've heard a lot of other people talking about him missing reads or you know this and that didn't like the way he reacted to pressure i, I you know i, I don't want to 
I don't want to spit on other people's takes, but most of that stuff to me is just, you find a couple examples of something doesn't mean it's really a thing. Um, and it doesn't mean it's not something that he's going to learn his way out of, right? I mean, one of the amazing things about Tom Brady is that amount of experience he has. We don't see quarterbacks who have learned that much. They're out of the league by the time they learn that much. So, you know, this idea that quarterbacks don't get better and smarter and learn things as they play in the NFL is just insane. I mean, it's literally insane. People who say quarterbacks can't learn things in the NFL are, it's not that I disagree with them, it's that they're wrong. <laughs> I don't even, I'm sorry, they just are. So um, I think Zach Wilson will, you know, every year that he plays, assuming he gets through seasons, he will get continue to get better. But he's also a kid who's playing at a very high level already. Um, so he's listed at 6'3", 209. My eyes send me 6'1 and change, maybe 209. Um, so if this kid comes in and measures six, two or above, I'm going to be very happy about that because I, for me, six, two is sort of that level where being small, isn't really a problem. You're not a big quarterback, but you're big enough. You know, Aaron Rodgers is about right about six, two flat, you know, Kirk Cousins is like six, two and a, and a, and a couple percentage points. Um, you know, they're, and those guys are big enough. So if, if, if Miller is in that size category, I'm not really worried about his size from a playing perspective. Um, and again, I was a big proponent of Russell Wilson when he came out. Liked Baker Mayfield quite a bit when he came out. Was a big proponent of Kyler when he came out. I am not afraid of a small quarterback. Uh, I like Breeze a lot when he came out of Purdue. But just because we're not going to write off a small quarterback doesn't mean we should fail to accept the realities of being a small quarterback. So it, it, it boils down like this in a very general sense. It's better to be good and small than to just be big, right? The, the, the first hurdle that any quarterback or any NFL player has to cross is being good at the game. Right. If you're not good at the game, nothing else matters. So when really, when smaller prospects are really good at the game, we don't write them off because nothing's more important than being good at the game. Now, once we say, "Hey, player X is good at the game," now we look at his physical attributes and say, "Hey, where is he going to have advantages? Where is he going to have disadvantages?" Um, and for quarterbacks who are like six one and particularly below six one, you are going to have some challenges. Um, and your biggest challenges are going to be when you're between the tackles and you're trying to read things on the other side that is roughly between the tackles. There's a lot. The traffic's going to get in your way. The offensive linemen and defensive linemen are taller than you. Um, they're wearing helmets, um, and you know your helmet doesn't count. It's your eye level versus their helmet level, right? So a lot of quarterbacks have learned the ability. Like Drew Brees, if you watch Drew Brees, he, Drew Brees, he literally plays on his tiptoes. Like Go watch Drew Brees in the pocket. He is walking around like a ballerina back there. Well, not walking. And if you think that's not because he's a small quarterback, I've got a bridge I'd like to sell you. Nothing would make Drew Brees happier than to be able to sit there calmly in the pocket, patting the ball, you know, bopping around like Tom Brady or, or Phillip Rivers or Peyton Manning or one of these other big quarterbacks, right? But he, but he can't do that, so he adapts. What does Brees do? Well, first of all, they give him great offensive line play. They, they roll pockets. They do all kinds of different stuff. And Brees works his ass off to see from the highest plane possible and also, to move, you see him constantly shuffling around back there. He's finding visual throwing lanes. That's what he's doing, 
right? So it can be done. You can be a great quarterback and be small, but you have to be great to do it. And you have to work a little harder than the average bear, even during the play, to find your sight lines and all that stuff. So when I'm sitting here projecting Zach Wilson, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna write him off if he comes in at six foot and change or or or, or you know just a shade over six one. I'm not gonna write him off at all. But I am gonna sit there and say, okay. There is going to be an added element, an added challenge for him, and it would be silly to to just pretend that that doesn't uh, exist. So for me, if he really is 6'3", that's going to be wonderful because that's going to be one hurdle that he doesn't have to worry about. But the 209 is still a bit of a problem. Um, you know, for... Um, you know, we'll just go back to the two guys we were talking about, Kirk, Kirk Cousins. I, you know, and I'm going from memory here. Please forgive me if I'm wrong. You guys, you guys can look me up and double check me on this. But Cousins is a shade over six two, um, and he's in the two fifteen range if memory serves. You know, maybe he moved up towards two twenty um, now that he's been through NFL training programs. Maybe Kirk Cousins is playing at six two and change two twenty or something like that. But he came in closer to two ten, if memory serves. Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, when he was um a college quarterback, um six two about flat and but Rodgers was around two two twenty. Rodgers was like a legit two twenty pounder. So you know Aaron Rodgers had some thickness to his lower body. You know, the dude had some glutes, right? Now for you know the, so when we look at Zach Wilson the listed weight is an issue, but also just like when you look at him back there, he's a little slight from the waist down. There's not a lot to him. There's not a lot of thickness to him, right? And let's go back. Let's go back to Drew Brees, who, you know, I don't know what he weighs now, but when he came into the league, he was no 220. I'll tell you that right now. If you look at Brees, he is a ball of muscle. He's got muscles on his muscles. He's a very thickly built guy. He has worked hard to become a strong guy for his size and that's all about holding up to the rough and tumble of the NFL so some of you guys may remember I had a little bit of an issue um, with Josh Rosen I thought his build was a little bit slight I wanted to see him bulk up a little bit I don't know if that's been a problem for him or not Um, and I, I thought Daniel Jones was a guy who could put on another five pounds from the waist down it would have been a really good idea I don't know if that's something he's done or not but definitely for Zach Wilson, I would want to see him, A, I'd love to see him come in at these listed weights. If he's 6'3", 209, then it's really just a matter of getting into an NFL strength and conditioning program and just bulking up a little bit. If he can put on a natural 5 to 10 over his first year or two in the league, that'll be phenomenal and he'll probably be okay. Um, but, you know... When, when I look at Zach Wilson at the total balance sheet right across the board, where my concern is, is the build, the weight, and can he just, you know, become big enough and tough enough to handle the rough and tumble of the NFL? Now, is the NFL as tough a place as it used to be? No. You know, when, when Drew Brees bulked up, you know, it was back probably like before 2010, um, and the league was a nastier place back then. Just go back. Remember Brett Favre's last playoff game? Remember what the Saints did to him physically? You, you're not allowed to do that anymore. Like the Saints, <laughs> the whole team would have been suspended if they would tried that. If somebody had tried that in last year's playoffs, so it, it there is an element to it being a little bit safer to be a quarterback now. We can factor that in. But still, this is a guy where I would like to see him put on a little bit of weight. I think it would. I, I think it would make him a better player if that weight 
isn't overall. If it's sort of from the waist down, I don't think he needs a whole lot of upper body weight. Um, and and but and again, it is a two prong thing. I'd like to see him get a little bit stronger and thicker, but there also is the issue of what's the height going to be. So for Zach Wilson, I'm going to be bullish on this player no matter what, but I'm going to lean in on him if these listed numbers end up being true. Um, so I'm, I don't really care what he looks like in his pro day throwing the ball. I know Zach Wilson can throw the ball. I know he can do all the things from the neck up, and I'm almost positive that he can learn the things he needs to learn in terms of the things he needs to cut down on the you know the bold plays the talent plays that he's convinced he can make then he needs to learn he can't make and i'm convinced he's the kind of kid who can do it so for me when you know his pro day is uh i don't know i think it's about a month away i'm really my biggest thing at his pro day is going to be the weigh-in and uh and the height i want to see that um that you know i think if if he ends up coming in significantly smaller height-wise and weight-wise, I'm going to have a tough time putting him, you know, uh, ahead of fields. That's It's just going to be a little bit tough to do. Um, so that's really, I'm, I'm trying to look at my notes here. Did I really miss anything? No, I think, I think that's enough on Zach Wilson for now. We're going to talk about this kid a lot between now and draft day. We'll talk about him after draft day. We may be talking about him for years. Um... But my, my basic take on him is really good prospect. Um, my initial dive into him, um, I'm, I'm coming up with grades that are better than Baker Mayfield's grades from a couple years ago, that are better than Sam Darnold's grades uh, from a couple years ago. Um, so that, that's where I'm at right now. Um, if anything changes, you all will be the first to know. So let's, uh, let's uh, we're already at about 20 minutes here. Let's look into a couple other things. Um off the top of my head, Wentz to the Colts. Obviously, he's going back to some coaches, Reich, and the rest of the staff that know him. He's going back to a scheme, or a, in a general sense, a scheme that he knows. Um, the talent, the existing talent on that team, they've got offensive line talent. They've got running back talent. They've got some young receiving talent. Um, they've got multiple bodies at tight end. Um, who knows? They may bring in some stuff. So there's really nothing about this situation. Um, for Carson Wentz that says he can't do it. The only problem for Carson Wentz right now is Carson Wentz. Um, you know, look, we talked about him last year. He was clearly a damaged player. And the damage got worse and worse and worse. And by the time they pulled him, he was bordering on dysfunctional. Um, and, you know, for those of you who are athletes, um, I think we've all probably been in a place where our mechanics are wrong, our confidence is down, you're grab bagging, you're, you know, you're, you're trying shots that you don't normally try. Um, now I'm moving into tennis, but you know, really in any, but in any sport I've ever played, there are times where your confidence leaves you, and it can be a real challenge to be in a competitive situation without your confidence. Um, there was a time during my sophomore year of college where my second serve just left me. I don't know where it went. I don't know what the hell was wrong with it. Um, I didn't have a coach that was real good at mechanics, so I didn't really have anybody around to fix me. I was in desperate need of my summer coach, and I didn't have access to him. And I struggled for a couple weeks with my second serve. And I remember I got into a match where it was match point against, um, and I was on a second serve. And I dropped that puppy into the net tape. It was one of those where it could have been a let, 
Could have gotten lucky, but it dropped on my side. And I remember that feeling in my elbow and in my brain when I was hitting that second serve of, well, maybe it'll go in. <laughs> but I, you know, long story. Sorry for that. It's a tangent. But I saw that in Wentz last year where he's like, well, I, I don't have any choice. I got to throw this thing. Let's just hope for the best. He was in that area where he just, he didn't have the confidence to do what he was out there doing. So I, the good news is that I found my second serve that year. Uh, it took some time, but I found it. And look, Wentz, when you've got the physical ability and you've lost your mental edge, you can get it back. You can get it back in a lot of different sports. I'm sure that an NFL quarterback can do it. And the fact that he's going to a place where the head coach is a quarterback, and the head coach is a quarterback who had to, you know, come off the bench whether he wanted to or not, is probably not a bad thing. Um, and what they need to do is they need to sort of, you know, he needs to be rebuilt. He needs to have his confidence reestablished. Um, and it's going to be sort of a two-pronged process because as we talked about last year, I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this on the podcast, Carson Wentz had multiple tracks going wrong at the same time. He was losing confidence in his teammates. He was losing confidence in the amount of time he was going to have. And then by extension, he began to lose confidence in himself. And once, once, losing, once you lose confidence in your support system and yourself, you know, you're, you have no rudder. You have nothing you can hang on to. That's a bad place to be in. And he was in that place. And really, the Eagles probably should have gotten him out of there two or three weeks before they did. Um, and, you know, look, Reich's, Reich's got his work cut out ahead of him. But, I, you know, I, I would not bet against Reich and Wentz here. Uh, and, you know, unless somebody is looking to come in and buy Wentz off you, you know, at what I would call normal prices, I would probably hang on to Carson Wentz uh, in most dynasty leagues. I think uh, the odds on you getting a successful outcome are reasonably good. They gave enough up where they're fairly well committed to giving him at least one good year. And I think he would have to play really bad not to get a second. So that's where I'm at with Wentz. Um, is he in a position that's as good as the one he was in before his ACL? No. Is he in a position that's as good as like the one he was going into post-ACL 2019? Probably not. But as I said on Twitter yesterday, or maybe it was this morning, I think this is as good a rehab spot as he possibly could have hoped for. You know, but, you know, so barring staying with the Eagles and the Eagles fixing the team around him and Peterson staying as his coach, bar, barring that, I think this is as good a scenario as he possibly could have hoped for. Certainly a better scenario than going to the Bears. Uh, so I think, you know, this was a really good thing for Wentz. Uh, and I think he's probably got a slightly better than 50% shot of this thing working out. I think he's still a talented guy. He's going to a place where they believe in him and where they've worked with him before. Um, for those of you who have not checked out my 444 article, I think probably a lot of you have because <laughs> I've retweeted the heck out of it. And so is 444. Um, so if you're, uh, if you're listening on Rotobon, there's going to be a link uh, to the article right, right below... Uh, 
the, the podcast player. So check that out. Um, re- just walking through the article real quickly. Um, I'll go through the sections. Um, started off with unlearning what you know. Um, and this, I mean, I was dead serious about this. I mean, um, like I say, for, for folks like me where, you know, I played 20 years of single QB fantasy football before Superflex really even existed, uh, you know, as a brand name or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, it's, and, and by the way, this works in both directions. I'll get to that in a second, but, um, you know, when I did my Superflex startups, I knew the quarterback was a big thing. I and I did get my head around that, and I did make a mental shift. I got away from that reflexive weight on quarterbacks, weight on quarterbacks, but I didn't do it enough, right? Um, like I in my first um, draft of the of the article, which was way longer than the one that uh, that ultimately went up on the site. Um, this section was longer, and I went into an explanation of how, you know, I ended up with Pat Mahomes on my Capitalist Pigs um, roster, but it was it was good luck. You know, if I redid Capitalist Pigs, like if we started it over now, I would end up doing it a lot the same way, but it would be more intentional. Like I would have gone after Mahomes intensely. Hopefully I would have gotten him at the same number. I wouldn't have tipped my hand, but like, I got Pat Mahomes for 87 in a rookie draft. Now, remember, he wasn't supposed to start that year, so there was a little bit of a discount. But I basically went after him because I liked Pat Mahomes' talent, probably not as much as I should have, but I liked his talent a lot. And once he landed with Andy Reid, I'm like, yeah, I want that. But it wasn't about the 2QB thing. It was about Pat Mahomes, Reid. The 2QB you know, league was sort of, the enabler that I wanted to chase Pat Mahomes. But so that was years ago. That was back in 2017 or whatever. But now I would have been doing it for a completely different reason, which is man, get yourself quarterbacks and super flex, sell out to do it, even go against value to some extent to do it. Because having quarterbacks, having a having depth at quarterbacks in super flex league, everything just comes to you. I, I don't know how else to explain it, but it, you know, everything just sort of works for you when you're at the top of the quarterback um, game or when you're one of the teams that's strong at the position. Um, you know, I, I made deals in uh, Capitalist Pigs where the deals came to me. I didn't even search for them, you know. Anyway, um, so the next section was uh, quarterbacks versus running backs. Um, and and the, the basic point I'm making there is that in Superflex, quarterbacks and running backs are very much the same. And the only way for me the quarterbacks really jumped ahead of running backs, there's a little bit more scarcity, which I don't really get into. But the big factor is that there is, and this is what I get into in the article, is that there's a special subset within the quarterback position. It's just like I used to talk about a couple of years ago when everybody was saying, don't draft running backs in the first round. I know some of you guys remember this. And I would say, that's true, but there are certain running backs. There's a subset of running backs that still get premium workloads, that get big target loads with the workloads that make them valuable the way the old school running backs were valuable that year there were like four or five of them tops but we we were still saying these guys are still round one running backs don't listen to the pack and avoid high volume running backs who are in elite situations they still belong at the tippy top of the draft and now since then the whole fantasy community has swung back to that thinking but at the time it was a little bit outside the box Quarterbacks to me in Superflex, similar kind of thing. When you get these guys who are A, established, 
B, established being very good, and C, are young and have a paradigm. And when I say young, I mean young with a context, right? If you're a 30-year-old stud quarterback and you're established, that's young within a dynasty context because you've got four, five, six, seven years left. In dynasty, that's forever, right? So, you know, when I'm, I'm, I'm just looking for a quarterback whose sunset isn't on the horizon, okay? So, like, Russell Wilson is still young enough to be a foundational player in a super flex startup. Aaron Rodgers finally isn't because, you know, the problem with Rodgers is he's, he's sort of fluky and flighty and, you know, he's sort of an odd bird. So my problem with Rodgers is like, I could just see him playing like next year. If he wins a title being like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I know I'm going to the hall. Got my second ring. I'm out of here. That's like, look, Rodgers is the kind of guy who just might do that. Um, so that gives me pause. Um, but, but that's the big key in the whole quarterback versus running back thing is that there are in, in Superflex, there is a subset of quarterbacks that are worth more than everybody else at every position. And in a startup, I am going to exhaust that group before I do anything else. Um, and then there's the never stop acquiring quarterbacks, um, section, which is essentially that if you, if, particularly if you're in a league with a big taxi squad or, you know, a lot of extra bench space, I mean, you just, if there's a quarterback with a pulse, and when I say pulse, I don't mean he's starting. I mean, he's a guy who conceivably could be starting. Um, they should, like, all be rostered. You know, your backup should be rostered. Um, you know, just keep rostering quarterbacks. Um because they're worth so much. Any time a quarterback hits, you're going to be able to sell them for something. You know, like that guy who is actually a receiver who ended up starting one game for Denver last year. Somewhere in a dynasty league, somebody sold that guy that week. I'm telling you. Quarterbacks have value any time they're playing. Um, uh, the next section was everybody has a plan until they've been hit. Um, that... Um, Sal Pal actually changed that to a Joe Lewis quote, my editor. Um, he felt that was the appropriate one. I personally would have gone with the Mike Tyson line, everybody's got a plan until they've been hit in the face. I like that one better. Um, there's a little more shock value to it. Um, it's also just, you know, we know Tyson's voice. I can't remember even what Joe Lewis sounds like. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the basic premise here is that a strong QB build um, makes you, it gives you a team that's going to be more redundant, that's going to um, handle uh, problems better. And if you get, you know, if you get taken out at the knees with a team with strong quarterbacks, the rebuild's going to be a whole lot easier. Um, embracing the contours of Superflex, I've already sort of brought that up in this podcast already. When you are strong at quarterback, the whole paradigm of the Superflex league works for you. Uh, and the, the, the strongest, there, there's many examples of this, but the strongest example for me is the way the Superflex draft does not penalize the successful team the way a typical draft does. Like if you won a Superflex league last year and you're sitting there in the 12 pick, well, think about it. There's like five or maybe even six quarterbacks that could sneak into the first round. There are four or five running backs that are really good. Heck, that's almost a round right there. So you're going to be getting elite caliber receivers or really strong caliber running backs or maybe one of the quarterbacks actually slips to you with the last pick around one. That's not bad. 
that's not a big penalty for being the best team in the league. Um, now, obviously, the, the team with the one's going to get Lawrence. There, you know, there is on a year like this, you feel that sure. But on a year where there is, like, say this, say it, say we were looking at this draft class, but without the elite number one that we don't typically have. Heck, you might do better at the twelve than the one. Who knows? So I think that aspect of superflex is one you need to continually remember. Um, and as I say in the article, even if you're the kind of person who's trading those picks away. You don't, like, if you're like, my team's really good, I'm projecting myself to be 10, 11, 12, um, that may not be worth much in a single QB league, particularly if you have a feel for that particular draft class. But in a super flex league, that could end up being a really strong pick. So selling it's okay, but you better be getting more for it. Um, I'd rather be a hammer than a nail is the title of the next section. And that's basically this, a similar paradigm, which is once you have the upper hand, in a super flex league, like you have three dominant level quarterbacks and maybe some other, you know, uh, you know, wing and a prayer guys rostered behind them. When you're the guy, when you're the team in that situation, you're the team with the hammer, and you make all deals on your terms. Uh, and it's a, it's it's a really good way for the for the strong to get stronger. Um, and then I got into into identifying the elite long term quarterbacks. Um, and this is another section of the article that got chopped down. Um, just because, <laughs> you know, I like to chat. I like to write. Um, so we had write-ups for each quarterback. We ended up taking them out um, so the article wasn't 4,000 words long. Um, so I'm just going to go through these guys really quick. Uh, tier 1 is obvious. Tier 2, I think, is also fairly obvious. Josh Allen, top scorer, young, stable organization around him. Dak Prescott, top scorer, young, great team around him. Now, Dak... You know, you can move Dak down in the tier. If you don't believe that Dak's going to come back 100%, if you don't believe Dak's going to be with the Cowboys, well, Dak goes down to, like, tier four. So I'm, I I sort of believe that he's going to be a Cowboy, and I believe that he's going to be just fine physically. So I love Dak Prescott and those three receivers and that offensive line. I think everything's going to be great. But he's the one guy in this tier where if you wanted, you could drop him down. Um, I think Deshaun Watson's going to be Deshaun no matter where he goes. Uh, I think Kyler Murray's foot points and Lamar Jackson's foot points uh, make them monsters, and they need to be in this top tier. Tier two is basically the top tier. Mahomes just exists in his whole his own plane, right? Um, now the reason Kyler's ahead of Lamar is just that I think from the neck up, and when it comes to the throwing motion, Kyler Murray's just a better quarterback. That's what it comes down to. Um, tier three. I'm giving Herbert credit for for basically crossing that line to where I believe in him and the youth. So basically, it's I think he's going to make it. He's uh, you know a guy who's got the full complement. He can he can augment his arm points with some foot points. Uh, he's so young. He's big, sturdy. One injury isn't going to knock him out. Um, so Herbert's just a really strong um, asset to have. Russell Wilson, we talked about. He is truly great. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's got at least five years left, probably probably more. Um, the only real debit on Wilson is Pete Carroll. And how long is Pete Carroll going to be around? So Wilson's the kind of guy where right now there's that aura of conservatism. 
But what if, if like, say Carroll retires after next year and they replace him with an offensive coach, and all of a sudden we're looking at Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, and, you know, and they get him a lineman or two or something. Like, Russell Wilson could close out his career on fire for all we know. So to me, he's still the guy with, he's still the guy with a great floor and some potential upside um, in the post-Carroll world, which I think is coming in the next couple of years. Uh, Burrow was a judgment call. I put him on there because I think he really is great. And the, the, the information coming out um, on his surgery, to me, says that he will be playing sometime next year, maybe even early next year, maybe even week, week one. And, you know, he's still a little flexy. He's sort of on the verge of dropping down into the next tier. But unless I hear something bad about his knee, this is where I've got him. And finally, Trevor Lawrence. Um, the bottom line with Trevor Lawrence is I think he's high probability enough. And I think he's going to be the num- number one overall pick. And I think that you know Urban Meyer going there is enough of a positive to me where Lawrence's youth, the fact that he's going to be locked in for four years, like almost at minimum, the fact that he's already got a guy like Shark, he's already got a guy like Chenault, wouldn't surprise me if they brought in some help in the slot or maybe a tight end. I think they're going to try to give him a Cadillac kind of skill set to work with. So, you know, barring injury or a bomb out, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a monster. So if I can get him late round one of a startup, we're talking super flex, or in somewhere in the second round, man, I'm going to do that. You know, could I be wrong? Sure. But if you compare this to the Jameis Winston thing I was talking about, remember, Winston had played two years, so he only had two years of being cheap to his team left. So his day of reckoning was coming in the next couple seasons. You know, whereas Trevor Lawrence's day of reckoning is four years off. That matters. Also, Trevor Lawrence doesn't have the risk-reward problems that Jameis Winston had in college. So I don't think that's going to be an issue for him. It's not a projected issue. And really, when we look at just the overall talent, Lawrence is a better talent than Winston was. So it's just everything with Lawrence is better. That's why Lawrence is a good um, sort of tier one prospect in a, re- in, in, in a startup for me where Winston wasn't. It's also important to remember that in the, 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 the situation that I used, which wasn't hypothetical, that's from a real draft that I was in, Winston was taken early, round one, ahead of guys like Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. This was like four years ago. So it's slightly different. I don't have Trevor Lawrence going in my, you know, at three as my third quarterback off the board. I have him as my one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's my eighth quarterback off the board. A little different. And it wouldn't bother me one bit if you said, yeah, I'm going to take Wilson ahead of Lawrence. I would not take Burrow um, ahead of Lawrence. Okay. Um, the other thing that I said we were going to talk about is the four for four mock that I'm in. Now that was a, I ran my mouth on that. So we're a little bit low on time, but still let's, let's just jump into this for a second. So, so this thing is a mock at some point, there'll be a a write up on this. Hopefully, uh, George doesn't kill me too bad on the reviews. Uh, I had the four overall, obviously I was hoping for McCaffrey didn't get him. Um, 
and it's funny. I mean, I honestly didn't know what to do with this pick. Um, I, I'm not big on taking receivers early in startups anymore. Maybe I need to open my mind to that. I'm not sure. I'm still debating. I probably am going to be doing my first startup in a couple of years, probably uh, in a month or so. And uh, so this is something I really need to do some thinking on. I decided to go with Saquon Barkley. The uh, combination of youth, uh, the fact that he really didn't play last year. He's going to be coming, you know, in off of two fairly low volume. Well, not two, but, but you know, really, he should be physically fresh except for the injury. If he's ready week one, I think Barkley could have a very good season, and certainly I love his long term. You know, the fact that he can catch 90 balls and all that. Uh, so just, I'm, I just went with the athletic profile and the fact that we know he can catch a ton of footballs. Um, He's Saquon Barkley. What are you going to do? So I felt okay with that. Truthfully, I was considering doing some other things. I thought about going Derrick Henry um, because I feel like he's just an asset you really want if you're trying to win a dynasty league because he's so good towards the end of the season. And I'm, I, you know, I was going with a win-now type of approach. But I decided to go with Barkley, my rationale being there was an outside chance I, Henry could be there when I pick a 21. So I was hoping to get either like a Henry or a Nick Chubb or a Zeke Elliott uh, at 21. None of them made it, even though at least Elliott was projected to get there. Um, but I figured, hey, if I don't get one of those one of those guys, I'll get Josh Jacobs or Cam Akers or maybe Dobbins. As it turns out, only Dobbins got to me. I took Dobbins. Aaron Jones was another guy I was considering, um, and Aaron Jones ended up getting to me in the third. So I started off running back, running back, running back with Barkley, Dobbins, and Jones. Um, so there's you know some mild concern there. Um, if I'm not moving, if I'm dealing, if I'm looking to play um, three running backs week one, is Barkley going to be ready? Is Aaron Jones going to be locked in? Um, somewhere as the high-volume guy. I don't know where he's going to land. So when I came up with my fourth pick and Kareem Hunt was still on the board, I thought long and hard about taking either Tyler Lockett or Cortland Sutton. I decided, you know what? Just get one more stud running back. Hunt's on the board because his job isn't, you know, there's some ambiguity in terms of like how many touches he's going to get. I think he's still a 15 touch player on most weeks, even with Tudge, uh, even with Chubb, Chudge. What the hell did I say? Even with Chubb getting probably 18, 19, 20 on most weeks, I think Hunt's going to be right behind him um, with a slight skew towards getting more targets. Um, and I think some people are worried that you know Hunt didn't get targeted a lot last year. I feel that like with the return of Beckham, with them healthier, with the tight ends healthier, with you know with with a, a deeper receiver group, with a healthier offensive line, I think we're going to see more play action, more deep shots. That's going to push the safeties back. I mean, the teams were so squeezed up trying to stop. Like everything that the Browns were doing was around the line of scrimmage towards the end of the year, except for the occasional shot play. Um, I think. The fact that they're going to be able to push those safeties back is going to bring the swing pass in for the running backs. I think Chubb's targets are going to go up, not Chubb, excuse me, Hunt's targets are going to go up significantly, in my opinion. So I'm very willing to take him there. Obviously, you've got the added benefit. That's an air quote thing. Obviously, I don't want anything bad to happen to Nick Chubb because I love that guy. But obviously, if something happens to Chubb, Hunt goes from being a back-end RB2 to like a front-end RB1. So um, 
I'm a big fan of Kareem Hunt. It's a dynasty league. There are going to be times where he's worth a ton. There will be times where he's more RB2 level, flex level. But he's a great player. Uh, and I'm just going to take the talent there. Now I've got four running backs that I love. Um, and lucky for me, uh, Cortland Sutton stayed on the board. So I do have a wide receiver one caliber talent, even though I stuffed four running backs onto my roster to start. Um, so th the situation this puts me in, yeah, there's some FOMO, there's some fear of not having enough stud receiver talent, but I feel like that's something I generally can figure out. Running backs can be a little bit tougher. I'm going to be strong at running back from the get-go. I'm still going to have a strong quarterback position. There's still good tight ends on the board. There is going to be a little bit of a trick for me. Pick 93 is going to be important for me. And trying to figure out which two positions to go with at 69, hey now, and 76. Like those picks are going to be easy for me. But the key thing is going to be making 93 work. Um, and I'm going to have a tough choice to make probably at 76. And the key is going to be, well, what's going to come back to me? The easy thing to do is, to be, is going to be blow off quarterback. Just take another receiver, take a tight end, and I'm set at those positions, and I'll just be sort of mediocre quarterback. But if I'm sitting there with the ability to take Dak or or Jackson, you know, or you know, who's there, there's some good quarterback. There's still three quarterbacks on the board that I really like. You know what I think? Um, I think Watson's still on the board. So I I could definitely take one of those guys at 69. Pretty good chance I can get one at 76. No chance I'm going to get one at 93. So that's really going to be where this thing um, becomes challenging for me, is going to be do I take a quarterback at 69 or 76. If I do, that's either going to mean I'm going to have to take my tight end one at 93, which means the Hawkinsons and the Fants, they're going to be gone. Um, so, you know... The, so just I'm trying to sort of own up on the opportunity cost of going with those running backs. This is this is where I get a little bit of a problem, um, you know, if I want to have sort of a perfect draft. If these if pick ninety three doesn't work out for me, I'll probably end up having to make a deal somewhere, which is fine. I've I've got the running backs to make a deal, and I will basically be able to say, hey. Do I move Saquon for an elite? Do I move Dobbins for an elite? Do I move Jones for an elite? Or do I, you know, maybe trade Kareem Hunt um, and try to find the right deal? Uh, but I've got the ability to do that, which is one of the reasons I like the RB heavy approach. Um, okay, that 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 does it for that mock because you know I've got another sixteen picks to make there, so we'll be talking about that a lot. Uh, later. Uh, a couple things we'll hit before we shut the door down here. Uh, Marvin Jones, interesting free agent to watch. That creates an interesting situation for Detroit. Um, you know, obviously uh, Swift and Hawkinson look like they're going to get a lot of targets, but we don't want to see happen to them what happened to Cleveland last year, what we were just talking about. You know, if, if you know, if they don't have any downfield threats, teams could really start squeezing up on them. And yeah, Hawkinson and Swift were getting the volume we like, but the efficiency may not be there. So that's something to look at. What's Detroit going to do? They've obviously already got limitations at the quarterback position. If they have no third-level threats, that could be a pretty boring low-A-dot offense. Um, keep, let's keep our eyes on Denver. Drew Locke is a ballsy guy to buy right now while his value is in the shitter if it i mean it sounds like if watson doesn't make his way to denver Locke's going to get another shot and with all that amazing skill talent if he's just decent his statistics are going to be good um 
So that goes back to my don't love Drew Locke, but don't want to be a hater because he's such a value kind of thing. Um, no Big Ben um, in Pittsburgh seems like it's a possibility. And that's going to be an interesting thing. If they switch the paradigm at quarterback, that could change the way Deontay Johnson gets fed. And everybody who's looking at Deontay Johnson like he's some kind of target magnet, he could go back into that 6-7 range being more of a downfield threat because they're no longer trying to protect the quarterback. And people who think they're buying 10 to 14 targets a week could be buying 6-7-8 targets a week at a different dot with a different quarterback Something to sort of keep your eye on. Um, the Jets talking about maybe cutting Jamison Crowder. That'll kill Crowder's value probably, um, which is too bad. And really, for the Jets, if they're going to lose Perryman and Crowder, man, they're talking about bringing in Kendrick Bourne. I mean, nothing against Kendrick Bourne, but he is not doing a whole lot to open things up for your quarterback. He's just sort of a, a sticky you know, glue guy, a nice team guy. I mean, I like Kendrick Bourne. But he's not changing the Jets' fortunes any, and he's certainly not doing anything to make their quarterback more valuable. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. Um, and um, just uh, to close out here, um, a couple, just a couple obit pieces. Uh, I didn't really say anything when the VJAX news came out because I had this feeling that it was a CTE thing, and now that's starting to leak out because I, I, I did some some reading on VJAX, and he had talked a lot about how he hadn't had a lot of concussions and how he got really lucky. Um, so I was wondering, like, you know, this it, the whole thing reeked of a CTE suicide. But he, but he himself had talked about how he hadn't gotten a lot of concussions. You have to wonder, is this one of these guys where it was just the totality of all the hits, not necessarily some concussions? Or is he the kind of guy who played through concussions without telling people? I don't know. But it's a really sad story, and he was a player I really enjoyed watching, and you know, rest in peace, Vincent. You, uh, you were a hell of a football player, uh, and by most uh, by most accounts, a pretty damn good guy. Um, it sucks to know that uh, that he was suffering, and Godspeed you, Vincent Jackson. Uh, the other person I'd like to talk about real briefly, and I, I've talked about him on Twitter over the last couple weeks, but we lost Chris Wessling, who was a writer and a podcaster at NFL.com. He used to be a guy at Roto World. He was one of my favorites back in the day when I was juggling kids at home and uh, not actually doing any writing for fantasy. And uh, I met Chris uh, at the Combine in 2014. He was a nice guy. Um, he was the kind of guy who always had time to talk to you when, when I wasn't even a guy in this space. Uh, when I jumped on Twitter in 2010 and, and hit him up, he shot me a quick follow and you know wished me luck and all that stuff. And, always gave me time to chat. So uh, I'm going to miss you, Chris. Uh, good luck to your family. For anybody who has an extra dollar or two, um, you know, I think his GoFundMe is a good place to throw some money because uh, his wife and his uh, newborn son probably going to need some help. Um, so sorry with a, sorry to throw a bring downer out there, but I just wanted to give a shout out to Chris. He's a special guy and uh, we're going to miss him. Um, and uh, that's going to do it for this podcast. We did a little Zach Wilson. We, uh, we did a little Wentz. We did a little 4 for 4 quarterback article, a little 4 for 4 mock. And hey, go figure. We ended up killing almost an hour. You know me. I don't know how to shut up. Um, but uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for being around. And um, we will be back. Uh, I hope to podcast next week. 
Uh, I'm going to go do a little fun recording with Jason Sarney. We're going to be working on our Seinfeld podcast. Uh, and we're going to have a lot of stuff coming up here in the coming months. So I hope everything's going well for you guys. Keep yourselves safe. Follow all your protocols. Get vaccinated. And uh, hopefully get back to normal life soon. Um, so onward, upward. We will see you soon. Giddy up. Switch on the TV.